going to start doing this more often. You're never quite sure I'm going to walk in from. Maybe wake somebody up. Uh, I could hear you singing this morning back there with the drums. These guys sound wonderful. Do that more often. Sing out to God. I thought only fitting that we talk a little bit about baptism this morning since we're we having three this morning in our Texas. Our text is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Go ahead and open your Bibles to that passage, if you will. And for the, as you're doing that, if you have a wedding ring on in this moment, just take a look at your wedding ring, if you will. Just take a look at it. See, baptism is a symbol just like that wedding ring. Both symbolize transactions a wedding ring means that I am married I'm in a covenant marriage relationship it symbolizes that it's not it's not marriage all by itself but it's a symbol likewise baptism symbolizes salvation now just wearing a wedding ring by itself does not constitute marriage you can go out and buy one and put it on but have you gone through the exchanging of vows and everything no of course you didn't so just buying a ring does not make you a person in a marriage covenant relationship just like being baptized without a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ does not make you saved see a small child could try on your wedding ring now I don't know why you would like for them or him or her to do that they may lose it but when my daughters were little, if they were to put on their mother's wedding ring, it doesn't mean they're married. Of course they're not married. And if you get baptized without a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as both your Lord and Savior, confessing your sins and repenting from them, then your baptism is done in vain. Because baptism in it by itself does not save you. There is no power in it there's only one thing that saves us we can find it in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith it's by the grace of God through your faith in Christ that you are saved he goes on to say and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast it's a free gift given to anybody who will come to faith in Jesus Christ, admit their sins, confess their sins, and repent and turn to him. It's a free gift, not through baptism or any other work. It's by the grace of God through faith in Christ. The purpose of baptism is to identify openly and publicly with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ it's an outward symbol of an inward experience to extend the illustration of a wedding ring a little further if a person does not wear a wedding ring you can assume that that person is not married now I know to Dom today's time and age that not be accurate but for the most part if someone doesn't have a wedding band on you can say they're not married so in New Testament time if someone was not baptized they were not considered a follower of Jesus Christ. They were not a believer in him. 
Now, once again, you get tired of me saying this this morning, baptism is only a symbol. But like the wedding ring, it is an effective symbol that should never be taken for granted. And this morning, we're going to look at the symbol of baptism in order to come to an understanding of what exactly it represents, to gain a fuller understanding of what it means to live, specifically live for Christ. Let us read the text together, then carefully we'll grow through it. So let's look at Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Let us read together. What shall we say then? Are we continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that, Christ, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But prove yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Heavenly Father, continue to speak to us through your written word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. A lot of going on in this text, and I want to let you know now, there's no way in the amount of time that we have we can cover everything. My prayer is that it will whet your appetite to go back and review the text on your own. You look in verse 1, he says, Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase or abound? Now that question was abound to arise when you look back in chapter 5, verse 20, that says the law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What that verse is telling us is that the law, we, you, me, and everybody on this planet cannot keep the law of God. There's no way. And the book of James tells us if we break this one law, we break it all. What's telling us is the law is our schoolmaster leading us, telling us that we desperately need a Savior. So as the law showed us that how sinful we are, the grace of God abounded when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay that debt that we can never pay. And you have this doctrine of justification by faith. 
in the moment when you come to Christ as Lord and Savior, people say you are saved, and I understand that. A better understanding is that in that moment you are justified. In other words, you're in a justified relationship with God. He no longer sees you in your sin. He sees you covered by the precious blood of Christ. You are justified with him. That doctrine of justification by faith is not an excuse for a sinful lifestyle or does it encourage moral irresponsibility. Look at verse 2. How shall we live? How shall we who also how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Death separates us. Death to sin removes a believer from the control of sin. Notice the text does not say that sin dies to the believer. Rather, the believer dies to the control of it. Because sin will still continue in force in its attempt to dominate the believer, life, and his or her conduct. But look at what verse 3 states. Or do you not know, not aware, that all of us who have been baptized in Christ have been baptized into his death? Baptism, as your Lord into the water, represents death, death to self. You have now been baptized with Christ Jesus into his death. Christ's death for sins becomes our death to sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, the product of sin, is death. Remember what God told Adam and Eve back in the garden? The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, they didn't die right instantly, but the body became perishable. All of us in this room, from the day we're born, we'll be on this earth for so many days, and then this body will die. That's the product of sin. We're all supposed to die a spiritual death for our sins. But look, Jesus stepped in and took our place on the cross. He took our capital punishment upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, I deserve that death on the cross. But Jesus stepped in, took my place. He died for sin. And now, coming to faith in Christ, to baptize, I'm dying to sin. The old way is gone. Now hold on with that thought. Look what it says in verse 4, the first part of it. Look at the text. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism, through baptism into death. Burial represents the reality of death. And baptism portrays that or represents that burial. As we lower you down in the water, you are dead, you are being buried. Now, of course, I won't hold you in the water where you're going to drown, but it's symbolizing you dying and being buried. Baptism is a symbol of the complete redemptive event that finds its effectual cause in the death of Christ and its completion in faith of those who believe in Christ. That would be kind of sad if that's where we stop, wouldn't it? You die and you're buried. Look what the text says in the last part of verse 4. As Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Death and burial are not the end of the story. Death and burial are not the end of the story. In God's redemptive plan, burial is followed by resurrection. 
And just as Jesus was raised from the dead in manifestation of the Father's glory, so we too are raised to an entirely new way of living. So I'm, now I'm dying. I'm dead. I'm buried. Now I'm raised in newness of life, a new nature. 2 Corinthians tells us that all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we're raised into an entirely new way of living. That newness of life is better understood as a new sphere, which is life. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us we were once dead in our sins and transgressions. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been raised from the dead. That's only possible because of your faith in him. Oh, I love this passage. I'm going to start jumping up down here in a minute. John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. All things, the person I used to be is dead. It's gone. I'm a new creature, a new creation. Walk in, the, in having the power of the resurrection of Christ. Look at verse 5. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of or with his resurrection. Since we have been united with Christ in his death and burial, then it follows we'll be united with him in his resurrection. And he was raised victor over death, so we are set free from the bondage of sin. That baptism, as you're raised out of the water, symbolizes that. That sin has lost its grip on you. Sure, you will die a physical death. But spiritually, you'll be safe and sound in the hand of God. And nothing can snatch you out of it. Look at verse 6, the first part. Knowing that our old self or our old man was crucified with him. That's our confidence of a resurrected life. Believers by the union with Christ died with him on the cross crucified in order that one sinful nation might be stripped of its power. See, that was the problem with the law. I kept breaking it, kept breaking it, kept breaking it. And the more I kept breaking, the more I realized I'm breaking God's law. I deserve death. But praise God, he sent Jesus. Now when I put my faith in Jesus, his Holy Spirit now takes residence up in me, illuminating all sin and righteousness and guides me. I no longer fight against God. I embrace the things of God. And I'm a new man. Look what it says, last part of verse 6. In order that our body of sin might be done away with or made powerless. Now that Greek term that, that is uh, translated made powerless, reduced to a condition of absolute impotence and inaction as if it were dead. Death fulfills the demand of sin, but it opens the way for resurrection. Resurrection lies beyond the control of death. Resurrection is the victor over death. It'll be a year ago, just a few days, I lost my mama. Boy, it hurt. Still does. But you know what keeps me going? I know one day, one day, I will see her again of her faith in Christ. You will see all your loved ones who have gone on before, who were Christians that had placed their faith in Christ. What a glorious day that will be. But more important than seeing my mama is seeing the one who can nails me up and be able to look at him 
eye to eye. Not because of anything I've done or could possibly ever do, but because of his sacrifice and his precious blood. And I can fall down before him. And the book of Resurrection, the book of Revelation says, holy, holy, holy is the God Almighty. Look what it says in verse 7. For he who has died is freed. He's acquitted. He's cleared from sin or sin's claims. When the old self is rendered powerless, we no longer continue in bondage of sin. In Christ, we are set free. John 8, 36. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Sin is no longer your control, your master. You have been set free from that bondage. Look at in verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, never to die again. Jesus rose victorious over the grave and over death. It no longer has any power. Look at verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. To put it this way, the cross was sin's final move. Oh, and the resurrection was God's checkmate. The game is over. Sin is forever in defeat. Christ the victor died to sin once and for all. He now lives at the right hand of the Father, exalted and interceding for you and for me. We don't serve a dead or absentee God. We serve a living God who you can talk to anytime. We don't have voice. We don't have uh, answer machines anymore but I am so glad that when I pray to God even at 2.30 in the morning I don't get this beep I'm away from the throne right now but if you leave your name and number I'll get back to you no he's there he's so much there he, he longs for me to go to him he wants me to go to him in the good times and the bad he wants to be with you in your car when you go to work he wants to be there when you have a bad day he walks you through those valleys of death of loved ones when you feel like you can't go on he's there walking right beside you some churches you go into have Christ hanging on the cross but that's not the gospel if that's all there is said my Christ is no longer hanging on the cross we need to have a, a, a new awareness of Christ as victorious over death in the grave it's the resurrection that makes the news good news. I mean, if he just died on the cross and was buried, how sad is that? But that's not where the story ends. Some of you are listening to the voice of the enemy, keeping you in fear. And you're in bondage to that. You, can't, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. You, you can't seem to break through, and I'm telling you. You're not going to tell God anything he doesn't already know, but yet he still calls out to you. Let go. Give it over to him. Be set free from every addiction. Be set free from sin and the curse of it. It's yours for the taking. All you got to do is take it. It's a free gift. A free gift that you can have. All you got to do is reach out and call upon him. Rising triumphant over Satan's ultimate show of force, Jesus Christ is forever crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. Satan has been defeated and his fate is sealed. 
and he knows it. You know what he wants to do? Drag as many of us as he can down with him. But he can't. Put it to you this way. God met Satan on his own ground and beat him forever. Look what it says in verse 11. This is key for us to live as Christians. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not a suggestion that we imitate Christ. Rather, it's speaking to the reality that took place when by faith we're incorporated into Christ to take seriously the fact in Christ that we have died to sin. He flushes out a little more in verse 12. Do not let your sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts or desires. I need to define the term. Now, we have justification at time of conversion, right? You're justified by God. But baptism is not all there is. There's a thing called sanctification, where day by day you become more and more like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, leading you to the thing of righteousness, convicting you of sin, and as you do that, you become more and more like Christ. There's a thing of sanctification. But sanctification separated from justification incurs legalism. In other words, sometimes we get wrapped up thinking somehow we can earn our way. If I, I'll go to church this morning, maybe God will give me some brownie points for that. Or maybe I'll give a little bit over here. You can't buy your way in. You can't work your way in. It's only justification by your faith in Christ. It's only by the grace of God. Here's another thing to consider. If you cannot do anything to earn God's love, what makes you think you do anything to, to, for him to stop loving you? I don't care what you've done. See, death to sin means that one's perspective has been radically altered. Your worldview, if you will, how you view the world and your place in it. It changes everything. It does. Life has meaning. It has purpose. You have value. Not because of what you could give to society. You have value because God created you in your mother's womb, and he sent his son to die for you. That's why there's value. Look at that cross. Look at that real good. That declares that you have value. And he's calling at you right now. See, we have died to sin as believers in Christ. We're alive to God. We should live our lives like that on a daily basis with that truth and live out our days from that perspective. It follows that we are no longer to allow sin reign in our mortal bodies. Don't let our bodies be consumed by sinful lusts sinful lust and desires because we are now dead to it. Sin no longer has authority to enforce its demands. I must say that being a Christian doesn't mean you're sinless. It means you're forgiven. God gives you what you need to continue on to become more and more like his son. He gives you his word, which we have many ways. I have one on my phone here. I have one on my iPad. I have multiple hardcovers in my office. They're everywhere. Multiple translations and helps to help you read it. But more than any other help you can get to read the Bible, you know what you have most of all as a believer in Christ? You have the Holy Spirit to illuminate scripture passages for you. 
He's given you that. You have fellowship with him. He's given you his church. People. My fellow believers. We're not perfect. No, we're not far from perfect. We're here to love each other as Christ loves us. We're here to forgive each other as Christ forgives us. We're here for each other in good times and bad. Y'all often hear a lot of people talking about, well, I'm going to go to that church or this church because of so-and-so, or people in church are no different. Bunch of hypocrites. You know, that word hypocrite in the Greek actually comes from the theater, which is an actor. I mean, face it, every actor in Hollywood, what are they? Hypocrites. They pretend to be what they're not, and they make a lot of money doing it. In fact, we pay them money for them to get dressed up and be something they can never be and do things they can never really do. Now, I have yet to see a man take off and fly across the sky. I mean, it's crazy. Let me just ask you this. Who's the bigger hypocrite? Take a young actor or actress, gets into show business, and gets involved in every little thing that they tell you to do to be able to be happy and successful. Well, you know the story about many child actors, people who grow up in the business, they end up on drugs and alcohol because they have such low self-esteem and everything's based upon how you look. You know, that business will tell you you're too tall, you're too short, too fat, too skinny. I mean, any excuse they can use. And what they put before you is an image that we can never conform to because it's all made up. It's makeup and belief. I mean, come on, how would you look every day if you had a professional makeup artist putting your clothes and your makeup on every day? Come on. But here this person is, and, and when they fall, they get in a DUI, they're getting drugs. The same people who promote that lifestyle, the same people who kick that person while they're down and out. You see, a church is like a ER. People who are hurting, tore up. No, we're not going to judge you here. We'll tell you the truth. That you need to confess your sin. But we realize that we're all on the same level field at the foot of the cross. After many hours of study and professional and theological education and being a pastor, I've come to more than to learn a lot of things, but these two things are you cannot argue. Number one, there's a God. Number two, I'm not him. He's the only righteous judge. Take Roger, for example. I've known Roger for a long time, but I know he loves me as Christ loves me. So if he sees me doing something I shouldn't do, he cares enough about me to tell me, Tim, what is going on? You know what he'll tell me then? Let us go together before the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Let's seek the Lord together. I want to encourage all of you who are Christians this morning and have been baptized to reconsider the symbolism of baptism, that death and burial and resurrection. What it represents and means in your own life. Did you just go through the motions? Are you truly living a life that demonstrates that you have been crucified to your former life of sin and are living the victory and power of the resurrection. That doesn't mean we put a smile on our face all the time, walking around, wee, I mean, people go to padded rooms for such behavior. Life's tough, life's hard. 
the hardest thing to go through, in my opinion, in this life is losing a loved one. That, that, that doesn't even sound right. I didn't lose my mom. I know where she's at. I'm just not there with her at the moment. It hurts. You know how I got through it? My family, my wife, and my daughters, and multiple people in this room who came beside me, prayed with me, told me their own experiences when they went through the same death. If you're not a Christian this morning, I, I want to encourage you to, to receive the eternal life, that, that gift that is acquired through faith in God's Son. If you truly believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose from the grave, he's victorious over sin and death, you will be saved. You will be justified. Don't take my word for it. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the word of God. Because the heart, the mouth reveals what's in the heart. If you're not a Christian this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, you've never been baptized, I invite you in just a moment as we stand and the music begins to play to come and receive that gift. No one's going to laugh at you. No one's going to make fun of you. You'll never find a more loving and compassionate group of people as right here at Forestburg Baptist Church. We'll come alongside of you and pray with you. We'll cry with you. We'll laugh with you. In fact, we'll eat with you here in just a few minutes. Talk with you. I want each of you, I hope you're hearing my heart this morning. I want each of you to experience God that I know that he is. The same God of the Old Testament that split the Red Sea. The same God that did all those miracles in the New Testament. Healed the sick, the paralyzed and the lame. The same God who rose Lazarus from the dead and the same God who took the cross, who died on that taking all of our sin, our shame, and our guilt. And the same one who rose out of that grave in three days. If you haven't done that, perhaps you've made a profession of faith in Christ, then you need to identify yourself with Christ and follow in obedience and baptism. It's a symbol of what's happened. You're publicly declaring that you are being buried with him, died and now you're walking in newness of life you are one of his followers now and that should be more than just a symbol you need to live it out second corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 he died for all so that they who might live no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf so christian how you living? How you living your life? Dead to sin, alive to God? Are you daily seeking Him, becoming more and more like Christ? You know, there's a lot of things out there that tell us what makes us a successful church. One is how many people attend. I understand that numbers represent people, represent souls. But you know, a better factor to see how a church is, is being successful or not 
That's how much more we look like Christ today than we did yesterday. How much more we look like Christ today than we did last year. And that's true not only corporately, but also individually. Do I look, like, do I look more like Christ today than I did yesterday? And I'm going to end with this. 2020, what a year. But we learned one lesson, if nothing else, through that whole time. We need each other. We cannot live it in isolation. We are made for community. The worst thing you can do to a human being is put him all by herself or himself without any interaction. And I said this before. That is so dangerous that even in our penal institutions, they can only put a person in solitary confinement for a period of time because it's proven if you leave there too long, they will literally go insane. You cannot live this walk that God's calling you to by yourself. You need, first of all, you need him, but you need each other. Walking beside each other. Holding each other accountable. And I feel the need to give you one more illustration of what I mean by that. When my girls were little, if they put their hand on the stove, what would I do? Would I sit there and try to reason with them? Gee, Madeline, you shouldn't put your hand on the stove because it can burn you and cause life. Am I going to do that? When she was little, I'd probably not talk to her at all. I'd probably go, no, and slap her away. <gasps> Because I love her too much to let her continue in that where she's going to get hurt, severely hurt. Likewise, your Heavenly Father loves you too much to leave you where you are. He created you. He loves you. He likes you. He loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to pull you out of that pit, that darkness, and pull you into his marvelous light to be everything he created you to be. Quit listening to the voice of the enemy. Listen to the voice of hope of your heavenly father who loves you. Listen to him this morning. Give your life to him this morning. Will it be easy? No. Will it be difficult? Yes. But as we travel that difficult road, keeping our eyes on the prize, knowing that one day all sickness, all sin will be completely eradicated. And we'll live in heaven for all eternity praising God. No longer will sickness or goodbyes. Oh, can you imagine what that would be like? But I must warn you, God is giving you every opportunity. You have the opportunity right now. Because on that same day when he comes back, those who did not take the free gift, who rejected, will be forever sent to a place called hell. He doesn't want you to go. Look how many barriers he's putting in front of you. All the stop signs. Stop where you're at. Come to me. But he's not going to force his way into your life. You have to decide. So reality, if you keep rejecting God, when that time comes, he's just going to do what you wanted him to do in the first place. Leave me alone. Okay, fine. Spend eternity without me. But he doesn't want that to happen. Well, Tim, it's been, you've been preaching the same thing. People have been saying the same thing for 2,000 plus years. Yes. 
That's a witness to God's long-suffering and his patience. He's waiting for that one more person. Perhaps that's you. I've got to wait. More people will come. I've got to wait. Man, our God is so patient. It won't be away. Please respond as you feel the Holy Spirit talking to your heart even now. Heavenly Father, we rejoice this morning. These three young men who have heard your voice and have responded to it and now are going to declare before us and declare to you that they are dying to themselves and they're going to be raised in newness of life to become more and more like your son. But Father, I know there's still some among us who need to give their lives to you and to follow in obedience to baptism. Father, let them not delay anymore. The time is running short. They're not promised tomorrow. Father, I, I think what a tragedy it would be to hear your gospel not respond and tomorrow face all eternity without you. May we respond in this moment right here and right now. Father, I'll give you all the praise and glory for it. It's your message. It's your power. It's your son. It's your love. It's your grace. It's your forgiveness. It's your patience. Father, it's all about you. Not about me. Continue to reveal to your people here this morning the God that I know you to be. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?